prayer really quick as you find your seats and we come before the presence of God. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for the season. And Lord, we give you all the glory and all the praise. And because, Lord, through the tragedy and through everything, through bad news, there's a promise. And that's that you're still good. And we ask that you would cause us never to forget how good our God is. And that we would daily rejoice in you. So, Lord, we just ask you to be glorified in your word. Speak to our hearts. Transform our lives through the preaching of your word today. And, Lord, we also pray again for those that are hurting uh, in that small town of Newtown, that you would be with them and comfort them throughout this time. We just love you. We praise you in Jesus Christ. And we say together, amen. 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 You could give God some praise. That's not a bad idea. Amen. If you're taking notes, write this down in your notes. Nothing's changed too much since, um, since last week. You might be asking, well, when are we going to do the raffle tickets? We're going to announce the winners at the end of service. So just stick around. Once we're done with everything God's doing, um, then we'll do the, uh, um, the whole announcement about who wins. I know many of you are anxious to find out, but we'll figure it out after. Um, today's message is the same message as last week. So if you're taking notes, if you could just write this down. It's titled Set the Stage 2, Part 2, and I'm just going to continue it. Why? I don't know if any of you do this, but when, you read the, when you're here in church and you hear the word of God being preached, I pray that you do this, that you linger on that word, that you meditate on it throughout the week, that you think about what God has spoken to you. At least I do that. Um, even though I, I'm the one that preaches it, I'll go back throughout the week, go back to the notes even, and, and just kind of ponder on what God was doing and what God spoke to the church on that Sunday. Well, what happened to me this week was God continued to speak to me about this topic, set the stage. And, and I just wanted to continue it. It's, it's really a continuation from last week. And a um, very known, well-known preacher um, once said this, said, repeat your messages often. Repeat them often. Because more often as you repeat them, maybe more often they'll start living it. And um, I want to basically share this message, but with a little bit of a different twist to it, and it set the stage too. I want to open up with uh, a William Shakespeare quote. Any William Shakespeare? Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> It'll come today. Any William Shakespeare fans in the building? All right, four of you. All right, here we go. It's all right. Listen to this quote from from William. Here we go, Sir William. Right. He says, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage. And then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. William Shakespeare, huh? You know, I, I read that quote from William Shakespeare, and I, and I said, man, you know, William Shakespeare has a weird way at looking at life. How many of you would agree with me? He has a weird way at the way he looked at life. Sorry, I know he passed. And I would, uh, I would read just this quote, though. I did, never interviewed him. I wasn't alive during his time. I really haven't read all his stuff. I haven't really studied or read a biography on him. Um, I know some things about Mr. Shakespeare. I don't know most things or all things. But just according to this quote, I could say he had a weird way in the way he looked at life. And I could say this by looking at this quote. It's not one that I would agree with right off the bat. Definitely not one I'd agree with. 
Because as I read his quote, all I could say is this, that our lives do signify something. And they signify something that is special. How many of God's people can say amen? Like, like when I read this quote, I don't say, well, my life doesn't signify anything. As a matter of fact, my life means something. It means something so much that a man happened to die on the cross for this life. If anyone's life means something, this guy's life means something. And your life means something. It is significant. It does mean something. It costs someone his life and the shedding of his blood. Can you give God some praise for that? I really hope you can. So I wouldn't necessarily agree with him. He, he even goes on to talk about it's a tale told by an idiot. Church, can I tell you something today? It's not a tale told by an idiot, but this life, it is a life, it is a tale that is written by the hand of a king. Ain't no idiot who wrote my life together. Ain't no idiot. I know improper grammar is always used here, but ain't no idiot wrote my life. The king's hands, the creator of the universe, and the billions of galaxies within it wrote my life in his book. Come on, man. How many of you could praise God for that? Shakespeare. You know, I wanted to share that because I wanted to ask you a question today. Will your life be heard? And will your life be remembered? And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, Pastor, you really shouldn't. It, should be, you know, it shouldn't really be about us. But I'm asking you a serious question. Will your life be heard when you go? Will your life be remembered when you go? You know, I prepared this message before Friday, before what took place. And, and um, you know, you read these things and, and you're just like, my God. You know, you... You prepare a message like setting the stage and talking about life and will it be heard, will it be remembered. And the next thing you know, you wake up on a Friday morning and you hear what takes place in a little town. And then you start thinking about those lives and the lives that were taken and the lives that now represent something there to give hope to the hopeless. And I started to ask myself this question, Rigo, will I be talked about, will I be remembered and Will people hear of my name years down the road when I've gone to be with Jesus? And the truth is this, church, I hope that my life will always be heard. And I hope that my life will always be remembered. But here's the key, only and only if it is mentioned with Jesus Christ. That if they could relate Jesus to me, then mention me. If you can't relate Jesus to me, then my name doesn't mean anything at all. That's the way it should be. That when people point you out, can they call out Jesus in your life? Last week, we, we shared on Andrew and how he set the stage. How many of you remember Andrew, huh? None of you. Okay, no. As we shared on Andrew and how he set the stage, uh, I want to continue in that as we talk about setting the stage too. And we, we mentioned something last week. We said that Peter would have never preached to the thousands that he did on the day of Pentecost if Andrew would have not first off gone ahead and introduced him to Jesus. And think about all of the other great accomplishments that Peter uh, does for God's kingdom, none of those things would have taken place if Andrew first wouldn't have set the stage and introduced them to Jesus, right? We're in agreement. And we talked about the 5,000, and obviously there were more hungry people who ate, ate off a young boy's five loaves, pieces of bread, and two fish. And, and how did these people eat? All because Andrew set the stage and introduced this young boy to his master. 
Setting the stage is so important to the believer's life. We're, we're learning something here. And if you're taking notes, you should get ready to write some stuff down. What are we learning with setting the stage? Well, we're learning this, that the glory is not always in performing the miracle, but the glory is also found in the one who makes room for a miracle. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because we get so caught up in being the miracle maker, that, that, I mean, in creating the miracle creator, that we want to do a miracle, that we want to be great, that we want to do great things. And sometimes we forget that the biggest and the greatest glory is just making some room so that the glory and so that the miracle can take place. That we could just be someone who makes room and sets the stage, lets Christ have the platform and bam, be glorified. But instead... Sometimes we look at the other half and say, nah, I want me to be glorified and me to get the stage. And, and the glory is also for that one who makes room. It's not about the individual, but it's about the purpose behind what and why the individual does what he does. Are you guys with me? Jesus on the Garden of Gethsemane says, Father, let not my will be done, but let you what? Yeah, your will be done. Lord, if it's possible, pass this cup from me. I, I know what I'm about to experience and I know what I'm about to, I'm about to tor uh, be tortured with. Can you, can, you just, can you just skip that stuff? And he, then he comes into realization of what it's all about. Jesus Christ says a prayer and he says, but let not my will. I don't, I don't really want to go through that right now, but let not my will be done. But Father, let me. Let yours be done. And that is huge. Why? It is huge because it's about that individual and the why and what he does. The purpose behind what he does. The reason why he does what he does. And Jesus understood that what he did and what he represented was something so great. It was a kingdom that was at hand. Why do you think his message was always repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And John the Baptist had followers galore baptizing people. And then he would say one message. What was it church? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand because every man and woman of God knows that there is something greater than themselves and it is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Come on. Set the stage though. You got to set the stage. It's not about the individual. But it's about the purpose that's behind what that individual does. And the truth is you can find your greatest joys if you could just make some room, if you could just set the stage and you could call on God to perform his goodness. You might experience some of your greatest joys if you just start doing that. Listen to what I wrote down here. You don't always have to be in control, you know? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You don't always have to be in control. You don't always have to have all the answers. You don't always have to speak, give reasons, explanations, and so on. You know anyone like that? You, you don't always have to do these things listen you can find a better way you can just set the stage you can just trust in christ and believe that he is able and that he will perform all of his goodness and for all of his glory you can be that person you could be the person that could find a better way that it doesn't have to be found in you that i could just say i set the stage and it's found in christ man it's found in jesus it's found in him Andrew understood that. Hey, you want to meet Jesus? You could come to me, but it's not really about me. Come over here and introduce them to Jesus. It's about setting the stage. And something that every church and every group of individuals are talking about today is what just happened on Friday. And we were reminded yet again this past Friday morning of how quick life goes and how quick it can be taken away from us. We've learned that this Friday again, didn't we? 
Every so years or every so months, there's a reminder. If it's not an attack by terrorists, it's an attack by someone else. It's something else that took place, and it's something else in our family. It's something else in the media. Again, we were reminded of how evil and wicked man is, and listen to this, and how lost this world truly is. Again, we're reminded. Were we not reminded of the importance yet again of giving this world Jesus, setting the stage so that Christ can get on the spotlight and heal and redeem and comfort and only he be glorified? Were we not reminded to do that yet again? I wish some people were awake with me today. Again, we were reminded. And Jesus just looks at you as you see the screen that says breaking news. And he puts something in our heart that says this. How are you doing with what I've given you? And it's a reminder again. And I love to say this because I preach to myself. That if you're anything like me, you see that sign that says breaking news. You hear God's conviction saying, what are you doing with what I've given you? And something about you begins to cry. Because you've realized that there have been opportunities just in one second and in one day where God has given to you and you've skipped them. And that could have been that person that could have been taken. Daily, God gives us breaking news reminders if we open up our eyes. And God is asking, what are you doing with what I've given you? Are you putting me on the platform? Are you putting me so that I could take the spotlight? Are you putting me, are you setting the stage and preparing the way like John the Baptist did? I'm just a voice. I'm just one crying out in the world that is preparing the way of the Lord to make straight. Are you doing that, church, is what Christ asks us every time a da-na-na. That's definitely not the right one, but breaking news comes out. I watch too much ESPN. That's my drug. I don't know what to tell you. Hey, turn with me a second. Second Kings chapter 4 with me. Can you do that? Second Kings chapter 4. Once you're there, can you give me an A to the men so I can know you're there, please? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4. Put your eyes on verse 8 for me. Should I be there? Bring your Bibles to church. Bring your notes to church. We're going to go over this story. The story that I want to share with you today is the story of none other than, Eli, <clears throat> than Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Uh, many of you know this story already. Maybe some of you don't. But I want to share this story with you. And, and, and really, if, if you look at my notes, there's like seven little bullets, but those are not even my real notes. But, but I just want to share some things that God was speaking to my heart. And it's in, found in 2 Kings chapter 4, if you're on verse 8. What we're going to do is we're going to read half of this story today, and then next Sunday is almost called like Christmas Sunday because it's two days away from Christmas. And then next Sunday, invite everyone and, and, and just come ready because I'm going to break down the second half of the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman and what takes place in her life. But let's go ahead and get the introduction here, part one of Elisha and the Shunammite. It says in verse 8, so it happened that one day Elisha um, went to Shunem and there was a notable woman there. This is the word that means there was a wealthy woman there. And this notable woman, she, she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was as often as he passed by that he would turn in there to get and eat some food. I like this because it shows us that the Shunammite woman had some Hispanic in her. Because if you've ever eaten at a, 
Hispanic's house you know very well. Don't leave. No hay comida hoy. Por favor, no te vas. Please, don't leave. There's food for you. No, I just stayed at home. Trust me, there's food. I know you haven't eaten. Don't. And you can't leave a Hispanic's house without eating the plate of food first. If not, it's an insult. Amen? Any Hispanics could say amen to that. The Shulamite woman had to have some Cuban in her, some Puerto Rican in her, my Dominicans, hallelujah, gloria a Dios, in her, all right, whatever else, Nicaragua, and Nicaraguans up in here, amen, some Nicaraguas in them, whatever it was, listen, so she tells Elisha, hey, come over here and eat, and you could almost see Elisha like, eh, I'm not hungry, you know, I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a roll here, I got to work, and, and she's like, you got to eat. You know what I'm talking about, Abuela's house, right? You can't leave Abuela's house because Abuela says, niño. Son, tú no te puedes ir hasta que no comes. You can't leave until you eat. And right, you've all heard Abuela say that. And, and I remember my grandmothers, they, they always, man, boom. I mean, breakfast, what do you want? Eggs and then steak. And then, I mean, it was crazy. The things that I used to eat for, you got to start off your day right. Little did they know I was clogging up my arteries, but I couldn't leave until the food was eaten. And, and that's, that's, that's what's going on here. And then, okay, she really wasn't Hispanic. Let's keep going here. She was a shooting my woman. And you got to eat some food, verse 9. So she tells her husband, and look what she tells her husband. She says, look now, honey. I know that this man, this man, Elisha, <clears throat> he's a holy man. And he, and he comes by regularly. He's always around here. I think he kind of likes us. Or, or come on, let's be honest. You know what this woman's really telling her husband, right? Someone likes my cooking. Uh, yeah, read between the lines. He's always here to eat. You're always complaining about my food. You don't like the frijoles negro with the cebollas inside, huh? You want them better, you, you don't like the... Uh, and, and you could almost see the discussion. And she tells him in verse 9, she says, hey, this man's a godly man. He's a holy man. And, and have you noticed ever since we served him his first plate of meal, my man has always been hanging around the house lately. That's what she tells her husband in verse 9. Then verse 10 says this. You might want to circle verse 10, put a little note, a little asterisk and say, study this some more or whatever it is that you do when you take notes. But watch verse 10. So she tells her husband, please, boo, honey, can you do something here? Look what she tells him. Let us make some what? Huh? Yeah, crowd participation. Um, let us make a what? Yeah, your small room. I, I love what she's saying here. Honey, this dude's always here. Let's make some room for him. I'm going to get somewhere. Let's make some room for him because, because look, 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 look. Let's, 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 let's make it by the wall and let us put a bed there for him. Now she wants him to sleep over and just make a home there, okay? And, and right there, if I was the husband, I'd be like, hey, ain't no man sleeping over our house, right? But whatever, they had their own ways, their own customs. And, and here we go. He says, let us make a, a small room for them there and let us put a bed for him there and let's put a table and chair. I've seen this guy. He likes to read. He likes to have a little nightstand. He likes to, to write notes and, and write letters and, and send them out. And let's put a little nightstand there for him and a table and a chair. And then he says, and so it's going to happen. It will be that whenever he comes over, whenever he comes to us, that he could what? He could turn in there. You know what that means? So he could sleep over, have a slumber party. Party. We could all just hang out. But, but notice her command. Notice her, lo, notice her, her longing. Notice her question. Honey, can we please do something? Can we make some room? Let's, let's make some room. Let's, let's see if he wants to stay over some more. Hey, let's make this his house. You've ever been to someone's house and they say this? Welcome to what? Your house. My house is your house. And here is mi casa es 
casa, Hispanics, whatever. And then, and then here he is, and she says, baby, let's make some room for him so that he could sleep here. Basically, what she's saying is this, Elisha, know this, that when you come over to this house, ready? My house is your house. I made some room so that you could dwell in it. That's good stuff, man. Very hospitable. Very great. That she cooks good. Can't beat it. So then it goes on and it says this. And it happened that that day came that he went there to sleep over and he turned to the room and he laid down there. And something hit him. I, need you, I, need you, I just need you to read scripture for what scripture is saying. He's literally laying in his bed. And as he's laying in his bed, he goes, oh, it hit me. It's almost like a light bulb went off. And look what it says in verse 11. And it happened that when he went there, he went to the room that the lady made for him. Obviously, that's the room it's talking about. And as he was laying down there, look at verse 12. He looked at Gehazi, who was his servant, and he told the servant Gehazi, he says, Hey, Gehazi, can you do me a favor? Go call the Shunanite woman. Go call her to me. The light bulb went off, and he realized, I need to ask her a question, and watch what happens next here. Come on. When he called her, she stood before Elisha. And then verse 13, another nice verse to put a little asterisk or circle it or highlight it. He says to Gehazi, when she comes, can you ask her a question for me and tell her this. Tell her that she's been very concerned for us. I, I want you just to read between the lines here. Tell her that she's been very kind. She's, she's cooked for us and she's made hot meals and she even made room for me to sleep in. And she made this my house. And, and now I could sleep here as often and whenever I want. So look what his question is. He says, ask her what can I do for what? Her. I love that. The, the, the light bulb went off in his brain and he realized, I've been hanging out in this woman's house and I haven't even asked her, what does she want? And as, he, and, and as it hits him, she call, he calls his servant and says, ask her what I could do. And then look what he says next. Do you, do you want me to speak on behalf of the king? Because Elisha's like, I know some people in government. I could walk into the White House and I could speak to people whenever I want. I don't even need a special pass. They know me. I walk in, hey, Elisha, how you doing today? I got direct uh, uh, um, access to the president, to the king. I could talk to the king. What do you want? Bigger house? What do you want? Look what happens here. He answers and says, well, I dwell among my own people. Let me tell you what this means. I'm good. I'm literally good. I don't need you to speak to the president. I don't need you to go and make word for me. I'm good. I'm, I love my neighborhood. I love my people. I'm happy right now. We're good. We're good. Please don't mention me anywhere. I'm good. Now watch what happens next. Verse 14. So then he said, then what then is to be done for her? What can I do for her? Because obviously she's saying that she's good. And Gehazi, because he had some intimate conversations with his family, being Elisha's servant, probably as Elisha was sleeping one day on the bed, he was downstairs drinking some coffee with the family. And one day they started to pour into Gehazi and said, you know what's really wrong with us? We have everything set. We have money. We have a nice house. We even have an extra room that you guys could come and sleep in. But there's one problem that we have, and it really breaks our heart. And I know that there's probably even people here that maybe this is a problem. It's really breaking your heart. And, and, and here she is. That you could relate to this woman. You could relate to this man. And, and, and here is the problem. And Gehazi says, hey, Elisha, I know she doesn't want to tell you what her problem is, but I know she has one very serious problem. And Elisha's like, what is it, man? Can you tell me what it is? I've been dying to find out what I could do for her. And look what Gehazi tells Elisha. He says, Elisha, actually, she has no what? She has no son. 
she really wants to have a kid. And then it goes on to say this, she has no son, her husband is old. It's not working out. Things ain't working the way it should be working at that age. And, right? Just making sure you guys read between the lines. So verse 15 says, that's scandalous, I know. The scandalous church. And then verse 15 says, so he said, can you call her to me? Can you call this woman who's really long? Come on. Maybe, maybe it's not a kid today. Maybe it is a kid. But let me ask you something. Is there something deep down inside your soul, man, that you're just longing for? Come on. Come on. That you're just craving, that you're just hurting for, that you're just desiring for. And, and Elisha says, come on, call her to me now. So when he had called her, she stood at the doorway. And I love what happens next. Verse 16. So Elisha said to her, hey, woman, Shunanite woman. I have some good news for you. Now you could almost see how this is going to happen. He says to her, right about this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. Listen to this. You're going to have a son in your hands. You're going you're gonna to give birth right around this time next year. Right now, if that woman should have been like, yay. Oh, my God. I, I'm going to have a, like, yesterday, you should have seen Jenny. We had a missions training, and we had to do like a little dance, and she did the, the Harlem shake. And you could almost see this woman doing the Harlem shake. I'm going to have a kid i'm gonna have, and then and then and, and 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 you could almost see like man joy joy and happiness should should burst out of her but watch what happens next as he tells her this time next year you're gonna have a son she looks at elisha and she says to him no my lord and you could almost sense elisha saying what don't you speak to me that way and she says, no, my Lord. And look what she says. I, uh, no, my Lord. I know you're a man of God. Man of God, no. And look what she says next. Do not lie to me. Don't, don't you lie to me. Let's break some of this down. Let's go back to the beginning here. Here is Elisha who is traveling from one town to another town doing what a prophet does and, and calling out people into repentance and, and calling out people into holiness and, and making straight the ways. And, and, and then something happens to the Shunammite woman where she looks at her husband and says, come on, we, we got to make some more church. We got to make some room. We, and I love this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to erase that part of Scripture and I'm not taking an ad and I'm not committing a, 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 a heinous sin right now. But watch this. And I'm going to switch that and substitute that for, hey, hey, come here, honey. Let's set the stage for Elisha. Let us, let us set the stage. Let us, let us make some room. Ready? Because Elisha needed a place to be. And I could almost see how Elisha, because I love the way Phil put it in the last men's meeting. Everything in the Old Testament is revealing to us something in the New Testament. And we can look at Elisha as a type of Christ. How in the New Testament, Elisha in the Old Testament wanted to live in the woman's house. And how Jesus now in our lives wants to live in our house. He wants to live in my heart. He wants to make a bed in your house. And he wants to stay put. But, but, but here is the Shunanite woman. And she's saying, honey, let's make some room for him. Let's set the stage. What is she really saying? Let's put Elisha where he properly belongs. And it's almost a reminder to me saying, I need to put Jesus on the right stage and the right platform. I got to put him in the position and in the place where he belongs. He needs to have full control. He needs to have a place to call home. He is in me. So in me is all of him. Listen, set the stage, make some room, and let the king live inside. And, and here we are in the Old Testament, and Elisha comes to the Shunammite woman's house. She sets the stage, and something amazing happens. 
And what's amazing is this. He says, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And then and she says, don't you lie to me. Don't you, don't you tell me that I'm going to have a son. You could almost sense what's going on. For too many years, she's been let down. For too many years, she's seen specialists and nothing has happened. For too many years, she's wasted her money and spent her money on the professionals that could help her get pregnant. And it hasn't happened. So then here comes this crazy prophet of God with no remedy, with no oil, with no pill, with no device, with just a word. And says, next year you're going to have a kid. And she looks at him and almost gets mad and says, you better not mess with me like everyone else has. Wow. I hope you guys are with me. Because this is a woman that has been broken because her biggest desire has never been met. This is a woman who the deepest cry of her heart has not been answered. And then here comes the prophet of God. He says, your desire is going to come by this time next year. And she looks at him and says, you better shut up because everyone that has said that to me has never happened. And now you're going to come and say that to me. I I love this because... In our lives, we could put ourselves in the Shunammite woman's place and say, there has been moments in my life where I have been let down. Anyone here? No one here? There have been moments in my life where I've been confused. There have been moments in my life where I've had no answers. There have been moments in my life where I don't know where else to go to. Anyone here and then here comes the man of God and says yeah but chill because next year your answer is coming now what's happening here is this she set the stage and watch what I'm about to tell you and she says by this time next year God's going to give you your son and then look at verse 17 with me everyone look at verse 17 and we're going to stop halfway into it but the woman conceived and she bore a son everyone say hallelujah was the Prophet, right or wrong? What takes place here is this. Elisha comes into the house and says, by this time, you will be with son. And here's a note that I want to give you. Church, set the stage. Well, why should I set the stage, pastor? Because God can make something out of nothing. And the nothing that was made, that was never there, he can make it into something that can grow and become fruitful. Don't ask me to repeat that. But we serve a God that grabs nothing. And makes them into something. And right there is a good spot for an amen. Okay. Set the stage. What? Let him take the platform where he's in the business into making something out of nothing. And that something that was made will grow and will get through you in the seasons of nothing. Anyone here ever been to a season of nothing? Huh? Huh? Nothing's working out for me. Nothing's happening for me. Nothing's taking place. Nothing's happening. Nothing's taking place in here. I can, nothing's happening here. Nothing's happening with my children. I don't see nothing happening. I don't see nothing progressing. I don't see nothing. I'm just digressing. I don't see nothing taking place in favor of my life. I don't even see nothing. I don't see nothing in my church. I don't see nothing in my pastor. I don't see nothing in the person I sit next to. I don't see nothing in my wife. Nothing in my husband. I see nothing in my children. I see nothing in this word. I read it day in and day out trying to see if God speaks to me. Guess what? Nothing. I'm going through seasons of nothing. And it's almost like my one season of nothing goes into my second 
second season of nothing and my third season of nothing and I can't get a breakthrough. Anyone in here ever been through some seasons of nothing? And here is the woman in her seasons of nothing. Don't you mess around with me, prophet, because everyone has been messing with me saying but every day I continue to live with nothing and then here comes Jesus and he says if someone just sets the stage I will make your nothing into something because I'm in the business of creating a miracle if you just give me the platform I just need a stage to be set so when you go through your seasons of nothing and when nothing comes around again and everything looks dim, you wave your something and you remind the lack of faith and you remind the devil and you remind the naysayers that your God has created something out of nothing. You're in a season of nothing? Well, wave your something around so that nothing could see that something took place and God is glorified. My goodness gracious. The woman was in her season of nothing, but one year, bloop, pops out, and now she has something to tell for. My God. Nothings don't faze us. Because all of us in this room have that something that God made when we didn't have the ability to make it ourselves. I'm going to repeat that. This woman didn't have the ability to create child. Her husband was too old and what he was shooting wasn't working. She did not have the ability to have child. It wasn't in her ability. But notice what takes place. In setting the stage, it becomes God's platform for his blessing to be poured. In your seasons of nothing, church, can you just make room believing for something? Man, man, man. Because I know for a fact that if we pass this microphone and one by one, every single one of you will testify of a season of nothing. And I will grab that mic from your hand and I will begin to preach to you about there is a God that is about to do something in your nothing. Because he's in the business of doing such a thing. Set the stage, church. Make some room. Let's make it happen. I'm going to look at a couple key scriptures and, and we're about to end soon. But if you could go back a book and go to 1 Kings Go to 1 Kings chapter 18 with me. Can you do that? Once you're there, can you shout me an amen? And we're going to close up after we're done with the story. 1 Kings chapter 18. Are we there? Let me give you a little bit of history of what's going on here. This is a very hard time for another prophet. It's actually Elisha's mentor. His name was Elijah with a J. Elijah had a serious situation taking place here. Come on, listen to me. Elijah was a part of a great company of God's prophets. Well, guess what happens to the great company of God's prophets? There was a wicked, wicked. <laughs> there was a wicked woman. If you combine them, you get wicked. So this wicked person by the name of Jezebel and her 
nasty husband by the name of Ahab begins to do something and says, no, we want people to worship our God, and our God is Baal, B-A-A-L. I look at that and I go, bah. <laughs> and if, <laughs> here they are in 1 Kings, and, and they said, we're tired of the prophets of God, and we're tired of this Hebrew God, and let's do something. And, 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 and they get real harsh on the Hebrew people, and guess what they start doing? They start to take down each prophet of God. And then at the end of this, guess what happens here? There's one prophet standing by the name of who? Elijah. Elijah's all by himself. And he's looking around and he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm the only prophet of God left. I need you to listen because I'm about to end soon, soon, not yet, but soon. And he says, I'm about to go to war and about to face about 450 of the prophets of Baal. So he, he comes to Ahab and he says, hey, hey, Ahab, let's do something here. Because the children of Israel are so fickle. Anyone know anyone that's so fickle? You know what I'm saying? You just tell them something good, their ears get a little itchy. Oh, I've got to go do that because that's what's going to make me. And he's like, no, get back to the word of God. And, then, and they were so fickle that guess what became popular in the land? It wasn't what we would call today Christianity it wasn't today what we would call Jehovahnity or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't Jehovah, but it was Baal's religion. And what happened was all the nation of Israel now turned from the prophets of God and from Elijah and they started to what? Lean with the prophets of Baal and they begin to trust in their God. And Elijah gets ticked off and he says, King Ahab, this is what we're going to do. Ready? Bring all your prophets to the land. On this day, I'm calling them out. And we're going to set up a, an altar. And we're going to place the altar and we're going to both call out on our God. And the one God who answers with fire is the one and what? True living God. But not only do I want the 450 prophets, I want the whole nation and the whole children of Israel to show up. And I want them to encircle and look at what's going to happen here. So imagine what's happening here. So Elijah, Elijah goes ahead and does this, and on verse 20, it goes on, and it says that on verse 21, Elijah came and he said to the children of Israel right before this competition was going to take place, and look what he tells them. You all know this story. How long will you falter between two opinions? How long will you serve two gods, huh? If the Lord is your God, come on, children of Israel, follow him. But if Baal is your God, if Baal is your God, then what? You follow him, man. But make up your mind. And look what it says next. The people answered him not a what? Not even a word. And then we skip a little bit. On verse 24, he's, he's giving the rules. And here's Elijah, one man facing 450. That's very outnumbered if you ask me. He's going to get a beat down. But in verse 24, he says, you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of my Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, what? It's good with us. Why? We're more. You're done. You're going to lose. That's almost equivalent to me saying this. I'm going to play you in a game of basketball. You grab your best five, and I'm going to grab myself, and I'm going to go one versus five, and we'll see who's really going to the best, who's going to win. You're going to look at me and say, what? It's good with me. You're going to lose. 
Because some of you will be like, you can't even be me on a one-on-one. There's no way you're going to be five of us on a five-on-one. And then here is Elijah. And then he goes on, 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 down to verse 30. And they begin to build their altar. They begin to build their altar. And then they begin to cry out to their God, the prophets of Baal. And nothing was happening. And then in verse 30, Elijah started making fun of them in 29. Ah, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he went on vacation. Nothing was happening. In verse 30, he says this. Hey, come to me. So here comes all the mass of people, 450 prophets, the whole nation of Israel. Follow Elijah to his altar. And then it says, and he prepared or he repaired the altar of the Lord. Let's skip, let's skip, let's skip. Verse 33, he put the wood in order. He cut the bull in pieces. He laid it down. So he's preparing the altar. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are God and that, you've turned, that you will turn back hearts to you and then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt sacrifice skip 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 verse 39 and when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and they said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and Elisha said finally let's go kill the 450 prophets what's happening here follow with me as I get ready to close now now I'm really getting ready to close soon Elijah's altar was the least probable altar to win. What do you see here? We see two stages that are being built. Listen. Two altars that today I'm going to call two stages as we talk about set the stage part two. One stage was Elijah's stage. And his stage was least probable, what we would call today in the sport world, the underdog stage. Elijah's stage was the the least attractive and the least popular. Listen, listen. His was most likely to fail. He received the most likely to fail award. And then here comes another group of individuals, 450 prophets of Baal. And their stage was attractive. What else was their stage? It was very cultural. What do I mean by that? The culture backed up their stage. I'm going to get somewhere. And as it was backed up culturally, it was very highly supported. If, if the prophets of Baal had a Twitter account, they definitely had more followers than Elijah's stage ever had. It was more popular. It was more convincing. It was highly supported by the culture. Listen, more fans and more followers. As a matter of fact, that the people of the other stage, they turned away from that stage, from that altar, and they turned to their altar because they didn't say a word. Do you want to know one of the greatest offenses that could be done to a person? Is when someone, when they're supposed to say something, don't say anything at all to back up that person? That is the worst thing that you can do. Romans tells us that. You sin just as well by letting everyone sin and not saying anything about it. I got a brother in the Lord. Someone's speaking bad about them. We're going to stop this. Why? Because it's the greatest thing. I'm speaking just bad about you. If I hear something, I don't even solve it and help you out for it. And here are the people of God, and they don't say anything. They're just like, we don't know who to go for. We kind of disliked your stage. We're not following you no more. And we started to like his stage, and we're following him now. Two stages were being built. God's people were lukewarm. They couldn't answer a word to Elijah because they saw that the numbers, and it wasn't looking good for Elijah. It wasn't running for his favor. I'm going to ask you a question today. There are two stages being built today in this world and in this planet called Earth and in this nation called America. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a small group of individuals that are godly people, and they're setting the stage for Christ to be glorified. And then there's another group of people that are setting the stage so that sin can be glorified and so that everything 
that is culturally relevant could be glorified on it. And today, like Elijah, I stand before the people and I say, whose side are you on? Will you stand on the altar of God or do you stand on the world's altar who gives up their sin and shows it off and flaunts it on their stage? Or do you stand on the stage of holiness and righteousness and will you stand with those who are least favorable? And today I give you the same word of Elijah. Where are you standing, church? Do you stand where culture stands? Because culture says this. Accept everyone, be like everyone, don't be too crazy. You don't really have to serve people. Let yourself be served. The culture is telling you everything opposite than what the Lord is telling you. And today I ask the Christian church this, is the culture influencing you in the stage that you are setting? Man. You think the woman, the Shunammite woman could care? Care less. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. We're setting the room. We're setting the stage for this man of God. I'm going to ask Danny to come up here when... We set the stage, guys, and we don't stop setting the stage just like here he is right here, Elijah, and he didn't stop setting the stage. He could have easily said, this is not going to work out for my favor. I have 450 against me, and all the children have left me. He could have said that. Listen to me as I end. And he could have said this easily. He could have said, well, maybe I should just go home and pray some more and fast some more because I don't really think that really God is really calling me. I think I got moved by emotions. But instead, he stood still. And he said this, I'm going to set the stage even when these things happen. Ready? Even when it's not popular, I'm going to set the stage. Can anyone do that here today? We're going to set the stage even when people are speaking against us. Hey, Noah began to build the stage. And as he began to build the stage, guess what happened to him? Hey, Noah, really it's going to rain? It's never rained in our life. You're silly. Are you drunk, Noah? You're a moron. You're crazy. It's not going to rain. What did Noah do? I'm setting the stage. God said it, so be it. I'm not backing away. Even though it's not culturally relevant and popular, I'm going to set the stage. Hey, as a matter of fact, Nehemiah was building and rebuilding the walls, and some men came up to him and said, you're crazy. You'll never be able to rebuild that wall. Don't do it. And he began to succeed. They began to cause armies around him. You think Nehemiah stopped? No. Why? Because we set the stage when it's not popular. And number two, we set the stage when people are even speaking against us. Number three, we set the stage when people, even when people are not saying anything at all. Come on, church. Pray with me. You're on your own on this one. Come on, church. Let's go with some souls. Even when people don't say a word, you set the stage. Amen. You set the stage even when you are outnumbered and when you are ill-equipped. Yeah, even when the enemy seems greater and stronger and more able than you. You set the stage when we don't see the outcome right away. Anyone here hasn't seen the outcome right away? Noah did it. Years. He was working on, when is it going to rain? Years. Years. But when he finally built the stage, God was glorified. You built the stage and you continue when you don't see the outcome right away. You set the stage even when we are left all alone and no one is by our side. You set the stage even when culture and culture is influencing you not to. Because notice what I just gave you. I gave you Elisha and Elijah and I gave you Nehemiah and I gave you Noah and I could have gone down the list. Because in every single one of these accounts, God's fire answered and fell on Elijah's altar. God's rain answered and descended on earth causing the flood. And God's strength answered and giving force to build and destroy attacks enemies on Nehemiah's wall. My biblical accounts all show that when the stage is set, God is ready. That's how I close today. 
All biblical, all biblical accounts show this. When the stage is set, God stands on it and says, now I'm ready to perform. But I need the stage to be set. Anyone here ready to set the stage? Next week, we're going to part three. We're going to speak a little bit about Jesus. Actually, a lot of it. We're going to speak about this woman and her son that God blessed her with. What happened to him? But today, I leave you with this. Set the stage because in every single biblical account, every time a stage was set, there was not one time where God did not answer. Every biblical account shows that every time the stage was set, God was ready. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? I feel like you don't understand me. I'm about to go home in tears. Really? Set the stage, man. God is ready. Set the stage. God is Oh, but our government is falling. I could care less what's happening to the White House. You set the stage. You're greater than the White House because greater is he who's in you. Oh, but the people are killing each other. I could, well, I care about people killing each other, so I can't say that. But I could care less. Set the stage. God's ready. Oh, but my husband, set the stage. God's ready. My children, set the stage. God's ready. I'm never going to have. Set the stage. God's ready. The rain's never going to fall. Set the stage. God's ready. God is never going to fall in fire. Set the stage. God's ready. Listen to me, church. Set the stage because God is ready. But he's looking for a bunch of individuals that are willing to stand up and say, I'm going to go against culture. I'm going to go against what the world says. And I'm going to go against what's popular. And I'm going to go against my Twitter fans and my this fans and my this followers. I'm going to go against what everyone is doing. And I'm going to set the stage. And I'm going to let the world know that God is ready to be seen, heard, felt, and glorified. God be glorified. Set the stage. Set the stage. Set Set the stage, set the stage, because God is ready. God is ready, church. Oh my God, Newtown, Connecticut. Hey, set the stage in your neighborhood. Set the stage at your work. Set the stage with your family. I don't want my child to go through that. Then you set the stage in your child so God can be glorified. You work in an elementary school? Set the stage. You work in your own business? Set the stage. People don't like it. Fire them. Get rid of them. Set the stage. God is ready. God is ready. God, well, I don't like Pastor Rico how you do this in church. We're setting the stage. God is ready. Fight somewhere else where nothing's being built and you're well pleased there. But in here, we're setting the stage. God is ready. Are you ready, church, to set the stage? I hope so. I really do. What an awesome time we're living in, Christmas. What a, I can't think of a greater time to set the stage to start right now. Ending the year, going into the new year, setting the stage because he's ready. If Friday's events didn't break you down to pieces, I don't know what else has to happen so you could be broken down into pieces. But I almost hear God screaming in heaven, Church, set the stage. I'm ready.
If you think it's going to end with Newtown, it's not. In a few months, maybe somewhere else. In a few years, maybe somewhere else. This is getting darker and more crooked. Am I wrong or right? But are you setting the stage when the, the enemy tries to attack? We look at him in the eyes and say, you thought you were going to win on this one, but God's ready to glorify himself on this one. Set the stage, church. Set the stage. You guys to stand with me. And if you could join me. Lord, you're calling us to set the stage. You're, you're calling us because you're ready. Church Ephesians chapter 320, as you examine your life, says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And he does this according to the power at work within us. And Lord, I pray Ephesians 3.20 because you are far more able to do abundantly than all that I could ever ask or think. And I pray Ephesians 3.20 in this church according to your power that is working in us that we would be able to set the stage. Because all over scripture, we are learning that you're ready. It's us that's not setting the stage. So many times, God, we think about it's who we elect. And we think about it's what the people in high power are doing. But we've learned throughout the gospel that it's the church. It's the small group of individuals. That the hope for our nation is not government. The hope for our nation is God's people that they will actually rise up and make some noise for Jesus. Not just the big churches of thousands and thousands of members, but the small churches like New Life that will stand up in our families and in our communities and in our workplaces and that they will begin to set stages so that you would be glorified, that you would take the platform and that all eyes like the children of Israel in the days of Elijah would bow down and say, He is God. He is God. Truly, the God of theirs, He is God. That you would take the platform because you're ready. And that we will set the stage and see you be glorified. If there's anyone here today that you know that this message was for you. Just like it was for me. Just like it's for everyone else. And you know that God is calling you. Not to us to start a new ministry. Not for us to find a new building. Not for us to go here or to do that. Or to establish this. Or to uh, make proper arrangements for this. I'm talking about just you as an individual. You know that God is calling you just to set the stage. Because he's ready. If that's you, just like me. If you could just raise your hand with me and say, I know that was for me. He's calling me to set the stage. If that's you, I want you to pray with me as we get ready to close. Lord Jesus... I'm willing to take up this call when it's not popular, when I am least among many, to set the stage so that you will be glorified because you are able to do more, to do an abundance of what I could ever think or ask. So as I set the stage in my life, I know you are ready. Be glorified and draw all men unto you. In my family, workplace, all over my community. 
you be glorified as I set the stage and I make the room to you for you to shine bright in Jesus name amen can you give God some praise your eyes and we're going to do the raffle tickets but can you just let's sing this song just one time with everything with everything we got about five minutes before 12 we're doing good Let's sing this with everything, just one time. <laughs>